Welcome to this message from Life Assembly, a thriving church in the northwest suburbs of Minneapolis. Please visit us online at lifemn.org for more information. And now join us as we pursue Jesus together. Good morning, church. It's a good day. How many of you are like me? You saw 50 degrees coming. You started saying, oh, glory. You had brought out your white hankies, started waving them around, saying, oh, it's a good Sunday. That's what I was thinking. Um, I have this favorite emperor, emperor of Rome. And uh, I I don't know if he's talked about a whole lot, but, you know, it's just such a good story that uh, my imagination just, I, I can, like, walk with this guy. His name is Claudius. And Claudius was, he was marred. He carried a limp. Um, some believe that he drooled. He was mostly blind. He had, well, he was partly blind in one eye. And he walked with a limp. And because of this, he, had, he was not allowed to govern. He was ostracized, even though that he was in line to be an emperor. And, of course, how many of us know how the emperors and how it ruled in, in Rome, that uh, after Caligulus was murdered, all of a sudden, the Praetorian Guard starts going around and looking for who was next in line. And they start looking, and they can't find him anywhere. And he's not even supposed to rule. He's just, and, and actually, the, the interesting part, if you read much about him, the, the scholars believe that this is actually what saved his life because nobody looked at his, him as a threat. And the guard ends up finding him hiding behind curtains. They find his feet sticking out, and they go and they pull him out, and they crown him emperor of Rome. There is a um, famous, or I, I, maybe it's not that famous, but I, it's a quote I've, I've used uh, before, is where this guy named uh, John Wimber said, I don't trust any leader who does not walk with a limp. I don't trust any leader that doesn't walk with a limp. And there is something that happens when... Life happens to us. There is something that, I, I, I like to think of it as when we carry a limp, that's God's playground. That's where he can do his work in us because what follows a limp for us is humility. And when you look at scripture, we, I, I remember as a kid, and and. I heard this so I know it's not only me, but a lot of the sermons that I heard I got really upset about because when I started to read and started to understand, I'm like, man, why are all the preachers making these people out to be angels? Some of these people did some really terrible things. Why aren't we talking about that? And so I got really frustrated, and, and I, I began to realize as I studied and, and as the Lord started to get me into the place of pastoring is that we connect with those who limp. And that's why the scripture is filled with people who made mistakes, yet God. 
Yet God, which shows us that we here are people that God can use when we limp. And I don't know about you, but man, I tell you what, some of our scars are absolutely beautiful when God gets a hold of them and does his work in our lives. The scripture that we have been really centering on as our core foundation with the Follow First series is Philippians 3.17, where he says, brothers and sisters, this is Paul writing, he says, join me in prison, he's writing this, join me in, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. In that one sentence, he repeats himself three times. Join in imitating me. Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. Three times he's talking about follow, imitate those who are following Christ Jesus. Follow. Another interpretation says join together in following which why we like to say pursuing Jesus together. That's what we do as a church. He says, join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who, those who, those of you who are following Christ, consistently following Christ. You are the mature believers that are being referred to that we are supposed to be modeling ourselves after. You me, us, those who are following Christ. We are to follow first. Scripture warns against putting people up in front to lead before they have been proven. It's one of the, um, one of the things that, that we're really warned against. I have, um, through, through the years, through my own life and through relationships with people, I have seen many people that have gotten disappointed, disappointed with life, disappointed with dreams, unfulfilled ideas, hopes. You know, ho hopes and dreams are incredible, and, and, and we absolutely need them. But we need to know the difference between our hopes and dreams and God's promises. We, we need to know the difference between our hopes and dreams and what God has promised us. Now, this is a hard concept, not because it's complex, but because then we are faced with the differences of what we've created in our own minds and, and around us about what God is supposed to do or how he's supposed to behave or what is supposed to happen to me compared to our own dreams, our own desires. Now, the scripture says that the Lord gives us the desires of our heart, but how many of you know that sometimes the desires of our heart are wrong? And I've said this before, but I am very grateful that the Lord has not answered some of my prayers. <laughs> We're not going there. <laughs> That'd be a series for a year. When I was at uh, Evangel University in Springfield, Missouri, I was enjoying my time there. I had good friends. My sister had attended there as well, and so she actually was in this place called Burgess Hall that was across, so I actually could see her room from, from my window. We didn't really hang out. It was kind of nice when you're 14 hours away from home knowing that there's somebody there, you know, that's 
a little bit familiar. And it, I, I don't know where it comes from, probably just culture or whatever. I, I had created this idea in my head about what life was going to look for me in the future. And so I remember sitting one day going, okay, so I'm going to date right now. Play the field, right? That's what you're supposed to do. And so I was going to date. And then I figured in my mind that by the time I was getting towards the end of my sophomore year, sophomore year, I would meet the one, the one. And at this point, then we would be exclusively dating. And then from there, we would just keep dating. And then we would graduate. And then we would get married, just how it's supposed to go, right? No debt, of course, in my dream. And... <laughs> <laughs> and then, at this point, um, I would probably land a six-figure job. Yep. And this was the 90s, so probably wasn't thinking that way. But anyway, you know, I, I, had, I had these ideas. I created, created this, this framework of what life was going to look like for me. And I, I remember a musician that said, if you want to give God a laugh, tell him your plans. And it was into my sophomore year in school, something started to happen to my body. And I, I don't know what it was. They started doing litany of tests on me, couldn't figure it out. I was sleeping all the time. My parents are worried to death. I'm pretty much hyperventilating on the phone when we talk. I, couldn't, I didn't even know it. My breathing was growing shallow. And... Here my parents are going, I mean, really, it's a worse nightmare, right? You're finally an empty nester. You're looking at these years ahead of you as a parent, and all of a sudden, am I going to be stuck taking care of my child? And I, I remember this moment of laying on this cold metal bed in a hospital in Missouri, and took my shirt off and I'm laying on my side. By this time, I'd lost a ton of weight and they stick this rod between my ribs and they pull out a piece of my liver and I'm watching this. I'm going, God, what is happening? This isn't part of my plan. What do you think you're doing? Didn't take long after that till I had to drop out of school, go home. I'm living in a town of 1,500. Well, the sign says that. There's no way it's 1,500. They like to hang on to the good times. And I have to be honest with you, I don't even know how long I was home. I, I lost a lot of my memory during that time. My liver was shot. And it was, it was shot so much that at one point, doctors kicked my parents out of the hospital room, and they looked and said, how much are you actually drinking? And I said, I'm going to Bible college. I smoked a cigar once behind the video store. <laughs> Does that count? I know, I know, I know. And they said, no, really, tell us. And I said, I, I'm not. And at this, they start doing tests and tests and tests and nothing. They couldn't figure out anything. And even to this day, there's only guesses. I... What am I supposed to do? Everything that, that I had thought out and planned out wasn't happening. And I, I remember I'm in my little hospital and Cavalier and everybody had left the room. And I said, and, and they had just come back and said some horrific, you know, cancerous names and things. 
and of what it could be attacking my liver. And I just, I remember saying, Lord, is this it? Is this it? I thought that there was something more. I thought that, I remember when I was young and I was at the altar crying out that I felt like you put a call in my life. Is this it, really? And I, I, there was this moment of maturity. I wasn't even 20 years old, and I'm, I'm in there, and I said, well, Lord, if this is it, I trust you. This is it. May your will be done in my life. And I would like to say that then I was leaping and praising the Lord and I walked out healed, but that's not what happened. I spent months and months and months at home and at one point called my buddy who was living in, um, I think it was Roseville at the time, and I said, do you have a room or a couch? I just, I can't be here anymore. I just, I have to leave. I have to get out of here. And I moved here and, and I began this time of knowing I wasn't perfectly healthy but just began working and, and living. And the Lord started to do a healing in me. Now, this ended up triggering allergies, and I never had an allergy in my life. Both my son and I are celiac, we're gluten-free. I have been gluten-free for over 12 years. I found out by accident, and my whole life has changed. It's been awesome. There's some other things, too, that we, we noticed. But I began to get healed up. I began to gain weight again. And I met my wife, well, to-be wife. And here we are working at Joe's Crab Shack. I opened up those two, if you've been there. I was there dancing on tables, that's right. <laughs> awesome, awesome. You... <laughs> oh, man. Just so you know, my wife likes to tell people, that she met me while dancing on tables. Just so you know, it was at Joe's Crab Shack. So if you hear her say that, it was, okay, we were serving. <sighs> Some of you are like, we're out of here. Those... <laughs> but I, I, before, before we got married, I, I remember we, st we, we moved things fast, you know, and I remember thinking, I don't want her to marry a dud. And so... I went to the doctor and I said, I want every test possible. I don't want to get married and, you know, here she has to take care of me for the rest of our lives. And I regret that now because I didn't know all the things they could do to a human body. And <laughs> I apologized to my wife after that about assumptions that I made. Um, guys, we have it pretty easy, just letting you know. We have it really easy. So anyway, the Lord has been really great in bringing me through a time in my life where I didn't know what was going to happen. But did he promise me that no matter what, things were going to be good? Did, did he promise me that, that everything was always going to be perfect? Titus chapter 1, I believe I have that for you. Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ for the sake of of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which according to godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. As young as I was, I believed in God's promise. I believed in his promise that those who trust in Jesus, those who put their faith in him, would have eternal life. 
I believe that more than anything else. And that's why I could sit there and go, you know what, Lord, if this is it, this is it. Because I believed that promise, and, and we know it well with John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. And that is a promise from God. These were promises that I believed then, and I believe now. We need to understand the difference between God's promises and our own ideas. My young thoughts of the future was more of a Hollywood idea Jane and I just watched a ridiculous chick flick last night. I always get sucked into them. It's terrible, and I can't leave. And uh, it was leap year, so it was appropriate. And it's cute. It's a feel-good movie. But I, I, at the end, I always, they ride off into the sunset, I just married, and the hills of Ireland are, are there behind it. And it's, anyone watch that movie? Oh, come on. You've got to watch it. It's so cute, isn't it? It's cute. And... <laughs> Hey, I talked about martial arts movies a couple weeks ago, so much manlier then, okay? So, so anyway, they drive off, and I look at Jaina, and I said, what do you think their first fight was about? <laughs> you know that's true. I mean, they, you know, it's like this idea that, we, oh, look at now, everything's going to be perfect. Uh, two of my three children, doctors tried to get us to abort. Two of our three. What happened to that sunset? What happened to that perfection? What happened to these hopes and, and these dreams? In, in utero with both of them, with, with uh, Liam, they said he will never drive. He will barely be able to walk. He'll never be able to hit a, a ball and a bat. Never, never, never. There's no chance. There is no chance. My mother-in-law is not here today. My aunt, they usually sit back in that corner. If they would have heard this, they would have started weeping because they would sit in my mother-in-law's living room and toss balls at Liam, and Liam would hit every single one. The kid couldn't miss. He had these little cute rubber glasses. Some of you guys remember him, right? Do you remember his? And he just, oh, man. The U of M doctors couldn't believe it. He was walking before eight months. <laughs> Asher, they made us do all sorts of tests on him. They pressured us. We were young. Let me tell you, folks, be really careful before you judge people who've gone through abortion. Be really careful. You don't know what they've faced. We believe in life here, okay? We, we believe in life. We push adoption. We celebrate adoption. We celebrate fostering. We, it's our, one of our heart's cries here. But be careful, friends. When you have a young girl and their parents will say, you'll be out of our house, be careful. We were young. It was hard when they started telling us what's going to happen. Remember Jaina? She was a wreck. She was a wreck, not knowing what our future would hold. Instead, we have this enormous Demel 
it gets plopped onto my wife's belly, and I just remember the nurses gasping because there was all sorts of things going on. They couldn't believe this child. He was so massive. <laughs> and he began to cry after a little bit of time. Here's this healthy boy. Now, I celebrate that, but I've also lost a nephew to an abnormality. That wasn't the plan. I can't say that my faith is what healed him, but I'm really grateful for the mercy of God in this situation. You know, things in life bring a limp to us. We don't always see it. Some of you have had amazing stories of making it through loss and pain. Some of you have had stories of what seemed to be impossible and impassable that God provided a way out for you. There have been so many prayers in this room of desperation made by us in this room where we didn't know what the outcome would be. Again, like John Wimber said, I don't trust any leader who does not walk with a limp. The longer that I serve Jesus, the more that I hold on to the scripture that says, in our weakness, he is made strong. And I, I just, I think about this and I think, Lord, this is like one of the most powerful verses. And I learned this as a little kid. And we sang it. Remember that song? He is, right? How many of you remember that? Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me, Right? He is, when I am weak, he is strong. Your, st your stories of, let me just say this to you, your stories are your testimonies, and your stories where you look at as weakness in your life, where you look at your stories and you're maybe even humiliated about them, I want to let you know that your stories will impact people's lives for Christ. They will impact them. Start holding on to those things and saying, Lord, be ready we, we, Jane and I have had stories in our lives where we weren't ready to share. And I remember one where I said, Jane, I'm not ready for you to talk to people about this yet. I'm not ready. As a husband, I'm not ready for you to do that yet. Some of you have stories where God has taken the brokenness and the limp and the drooling and the blindness and he has created something absolutely beautiful. Don't don't hide that, please. We cannot be a church that only highlights the good, and, and we're not Instagram here, friends. Our Follow First series has been reminding us that we have been called to follow in the footsteps of Jesus, who did nothing unless his Father in heaven directed him. Jesus showed us what it means to follow. The majority of Scripture shows this, and I just want to say this again, that our brokenness, our limp is God's playground. Let him work in your life, and may he be exalted in it.
So we've been following Moses, and I mean, at times it appears that he's just limping his way to the next miracle. There's mistakes, and I mean, he made such a big mistake, even after murder, murdering an Egyptian, he wasn't even allowed to go to the promised land. But you know who was? The one who followed Moses. And, you know, when you look at Scripture, you're going to see a lot of imperfect people. You see more when it comes in line of imperfect parenting. Oh, my goodness. But Joshua, who followed Moses, is one of the most righteous people that I've been able to read about in Scripture. From the beginning through the end of his life. And like we, last week we had the bench press up here, right? And we had a young man, young teenager, and we had a, a guy here, Dennis, thank you for being our, our awesome role model about why we need to be healthier. And Dennis put up some weight, right? And really the idea is that many times our development and where God brings us, it would have crushed us when we were younger. There's no way that we would be ready to be able to hold the load. And sometimes we try and rush into things and it crushes us or it hurts us. And God's saying, hold on, let me prepare you, let me, let me get you ready. Where Moses ended would have crushed him earlier on. But the Lord, when you read through Genesis and Exodus, you see, and, and, and uh, Numbers, you see him being brought along. And so our scripture is Exodus 33, 7 through 11. Now, Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting, and everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise up, and each would stand in his tent door and watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. Verse 9, when Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses and when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship at his tent door. Verse 11, thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man who speaks to his friend. When Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant, pay attention there, assistant, Joshua, the son of Nun, Nun, N-U-N, not Nun, um, a young man, listen, he would not depart from the tent. About 10 chapters earlier is when we're introduced to Joshua. He's one of the leaders of the tribe of Ephraim where when Moses, um, when, they, when they were having their fight with the Amalekites, Joshua was there. He was the, one of the 12 that went out and spied out the, the promised land. He was one of two. He and Caleb were the only two that gave a good report. Why? Because they believed the promise of God. They believed the promise of God, and no matter how big people looked, no matter how impassable and impossible the situation was, he believed the promise of God. Year after year, Joshua served, and he followed. He followed closely. That's why he calls him his assistant. Moses calls him his assistant. Here's a young man like Moses who is committed to being in the presence of God. 
Now, for those who like alliterations, I have three Ps for us today, so I hope that makes you feel warm and fuzzy right now. But we're going to move pretty quickly with looking at Joshua and how he followed first and what he did. And so it's really simple for us today. Joshua was committed to the presence of God. If we are going to follow first, we must be committed to seeking the face of God. Just like we read, Moses, as he would be speaking with God face to face, here we have Joshua in the tent, did not even want to leave the presence of God. Now, how do we do this? What, what, is, what is the practicality of being in the presence of God? I mean, when I was in, in high school and in college trying to work, making money, I was doing road construction with my cousin. We lived on the road in this tiny little camper, and we worked from early morning, 4, 4.30. We're getting the road equipment ready. We're getting back at dark. We come back. We're exhausted. We're falling apart. There was no time for, let me just page through the scripture in my one-year Bible reading plan. Not happening. Not happening. You know what my prayer life was? Lord, I just pray this guy doesn't kill me today. All right? I mean, this environment was hard. It was hard work. I was exhausted. Some of you, are, as parents, you're like, my shower is the only time that I get. Right? You're in the bathroom. You're locking the doors, crying out to the Lord. Lord, this is my time with you. You know, there are seasons in our lives, you know what it's like. Sometimes it's hard. I had no idea that my almost decade of driving one hour to work, one hour back, that I would miss it. I believed my 1998 Chevy Prism was saved because the amount of preaching that windshield had, <laughs> the amount of tears, and that thing just never died. It never died. It just kept going. And I believed it was saved. That's why. A lot of prosperity in that tank. I'm telling you, in that car, I had so much time with the Lord, and all I wanted to do was work close to home finally in my life, and I couldn't believe that I miss that now. I would get home, and Jana was like, I need to talk to a big person, or I'm leaving, I'm pulling the hair out of my head, and then it's just, it's on, right? I didn't realize how precious these times with the Lord is. What's my point? My point is, is that we need to seek out the presence of the Lord however it fits where you are. Okay? Because I'm not shaming anybody for their lack of reading of whatever right now. Put on your Bible audio. Do whatever you need to do. Find a way to get in the presence of the Lord. I remember getting a speeding ticket on Highway 7 once when I was praying. I was praying. It was a lively prayer. I was mad after that. I was like, Lord. Ah. <laughs> He's got a sense of humor. Oh. Nextly, next, <clears throat> secondly, I should say, pursuit. Joshua was constantly there following Moses. We see him beside Moses, constantly serving, being his assistant, and the consistency of his life is why he became the leader of Israel. Presence and pursuit. Lastly is the promise. Joshua was committed to the promise of God. 
the promise that was given to Moses for the people of God. Joshua believed it, he hung on to it, and he saw it out. He didn't hold on to these fantasies and these ideas of his own. He grabbed on to what the promise of God was in this situation. He knew what it was, and he followed well, and he pursued relentlessly. Wherever you are right now in in your life and in your journey with Christ, I want to just emphasize the importance of not going in front of God, but we are followers first. That is our job. We follow first. We get in line and we fight for the presence of God. We continue to pursue him and we hold on to the promises of God, not our own. Because friends, there's no guarantee. We know this, but we trust God. We put our faith and our trust and our hope in him. And friends, I hope that you've put your faith in Christ. I hope that you've got to the point of your life where you said, Lord, I cannot do this on my own. I can't pretend. I need to put my trust and my faith in you. If that's you today, please talk to me after the service. If this is you, if you're in in the point of your life where you're like, hey, I need to commit my life to him for the first time or maybe the 20th time, I I don't know what what your story is, but I want to, this is so important, friends. This is one of the most important decisions you will ever make in your life. Follow Christ. Follow him first and watch the other things start coming into place. Would you please stand? When um, I was in the middle of my long commutes, I was so hungry for the presence of the Lord and I remember working in a very godless restaurant It was super fancy, high up people would come there. We had hours long reservations. And I was like, Lord, just give me an opportunity. And before, you know, the restaurant gets filled, everyone's kind of walking around and talking. And I don't recommend this if you work in the restaurant business, okay, because it could get you fired. But I used to take the table oil and I used to put it on my finger. And I believed what the scripture says. You should put oil on your hands and you should go pray over people. So... (laughs) I would start walking around the restaurant and I would start anointing my coworkers with oil and I'd be praying in the spirit over them and I'm like, Lord, just start doing something. And then they're like, hey, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, excuse me, excuse me. <laughs> oh, man. I, I don't know, I had faith. I had, I had faith that God was gonna start doing something in people's lives. I, it looked wacky. Yeah, I know it, it's wacky. Some of you are like, don't touch me next time. Well, I don't know. I may be anointing you with, with restaurant oil. I don't know. You know, friends, seek God. Pursue him. Have faith that he's going to do something in your life. God wants to use you. We keep saying this. God, be here in spite of us. In spite of us, Heavenly Father, we just, 
Lord, we're so hungry for your presence. We're so hungry for you to, to do a mighty work in our lives. Lord, I pray that you use the stories and the, the limps that we carry, Lord. And, and I pray that you use them for your glory. You use them for your good. Lord, may we be able to just give us opportunities in this place to share your love and your hope in people's lives this week. Give us opportunities to pray over people this week. Pour out your spirit in powerful ways this week, Lord. May we hear of, of testimonies pouring in of you working. In your holy name we pray. And the church said, amen and amen. We have people that love to pray. So if, if you're some of our people here to pray today, why don't you come on up. If you need prayer, I want to encourage you, invite you to come up. Receive prayer. Cry out to God this week. Amen. You've been listening to a message from Life Assembly. Connect with us online at lifemn.org. And thanks for listening.